0: I'm really excited to hear more about you hope and your work at ASU and go from there
1: Sounds great well I have a quick question for you real estate and finance to law school interesting like combination why the why the jump or do you want to do corporate law like finance law or something like that
0: So I, I like to say I never want to be a lawyer uh, which is kind of interesting because I want to go to law school so I'm looking at actually JD MBA programs dual programs okay. and yep. uh, on track right now to go the military route, which they would pay for it. So uh, that's a perk. But it's one of those things where I wanted to go to college and do something that kind of I wasn't familiar with, but that would set me up for a bright future. Uh, be a youth activist and someone who actually stands up for change, I understood that a lot of things that I'm passionate about can't be really monetized in, in the, the way that I envision the lifestyle I, I want to live one day. And so learning more about finances and about real estate allows me to have those passive forms of income so I can travel the world and do what I want. But still make a difference without having to worry about money.
1: Great! I used to run and I'll explain talk about this in a minute, but I used to run the full-time MBA program at Arizona State University, and so I had tons of JD MBA students. So thank you. Yeah. Totally get that combination. So very cool. Well, I just wanted to say thank you all for giving me the opportunity to be here tonight. Um, I love when I talk to Nick. Oh uh, gosh, it's probably about a month ago or so. I love just the idea of dream chasers and what it's all about and that you all are like really out there to serve others and finding ways to grow and develop and doing that at this age. Because I think oftentimes that doesn't start happening until we, we get older and we're like, oh, my gosh, these are, you know, I need to start making connections. I need to start learning from people. I need to. And it never, you're never behind the eight. The April right or um, you're always ahead of the game as long as you're trying to grow and develop but I love that you all are starting so young so kudos to you so as Nick mentioned my name is Hope Parker so I'm the founder of Giving Hope um, and as I mentioned before it's a for-profit organization oftentimes people think it's a foundation or nonprofit because my name is Hope hence why it's named that because I want to give hope to people I figured if my mom named me that you know I might as well use it for good but people are like oh you're a nonprofit," and I have to let them know right now I'm a for-profit uh eventually would love to have a nonprofit arm um, that gives out scholarships and does some other work with students but balancing balancing that but so giving hope the the idea is really that it empowers students and their support networks to give them knowledge and wisdom to optimally discover and design their futures and I do that using a process called explore discover design and iterate so really this idea of um, how do we help, for me, specifically, middle school and high school students really understand um, what they want to do with their future, why they want to do it, Uh, help them understand that they might not have to, um, or they might have these limiting beliefs about themselves, and how do we help break down those barriers for them, and not just with the students themselves, but with their support system. I thought I'd tell you a little bit about my background, if that's okay, to explain why uh, I started giving hope. So um, you each kind of talked a little bit about, you know, where you're at and where you're from. So um, I was telling Nick this too, but I was raised in a tiny town in Montana um, by my mom. My dad left at age eight. So it was my two brothers and my mom. Um, And people don't believe me, but we had no stoplights. Um, We had one paved street. And it's still literally to this day, only one paved street. My grandmother uh, was the postmaster, my grandpa was the mayor, um, and we had way more cows than we did people. I graduated with only 24 people. So um, our entire high school graduating, our entire high school was only 100, 100 students at the most. So it was a pretty tiny town. We didn't even have a restaurant until until recently, one of the things that was different and unique about the the town is that the whole community came together to really support, especially for my brothers and I. My mom suffered from mental illness, um, and then with my father being gone, the community just saw us and you know kind of came together and said, "Hey, we want to make sure that these people or these kids have somebody who's going to you know, going to help them." So, growing up in the small town, I kind of figured, "All right, I'll be a farmer's wife," which. If you knew me, you would know that that is like not even close to being what I, what I would want to do or should be. I thought, well, maybe that's what I'm supposed to be. It'd be a farmer's wife, maybe continue to teach preschool, which I had done all throughout high school, or maybe go to college. And so thankfully, this community came together and they encouraged me to go to college, which my older brother had gone It was in college, but he was our first, our first in our family to do so. Actually, he and my dad graduated at the exact same time. So my dad came back into the picture later on in life, and he and my brother went into or went to college at the same time and graduated at the same time, which was kind of cool. So I was, decided to go to college, and I was a bit of a gypsy, and I jumped around to all the different schools that are out there. Finally ended up graduating with my degree in elementary education from Montana State University. And so with that, I coached several sports for years. I coached fast pitch, volleyball, uh, basketball, and then I taught first grade for a little bit. And I realized that it uh, wasn't really all about the runny noses and teaching them to tie shoes. Like, that just wasn't really my my gig. So I switched to sixth grade so I could do a little bit more in-depth, content knowledge, and project-based learning. Uh, so I did that for, for seven years, and then um, just one day woke up and was like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. I want to have a broader impact in this world, and, and how can I do that? I loved my sixth graders, and I had like 35 of them, and they were amazing, but I just felt like I have to do something bigger, and so i quit my job, and my principal said, okay, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I have no clue, but I'm going to move to Arizona where my brothers were. She said, without a job. I said, yep, and I had a five-year-old daughter at the time, so that was a little risky. So I moved from Montana in August when it was lovely, 75, and moved to Phoenix, which was like 115, and I thought, wow, I'm going to, I'm going to die here, but I didn't. Thankfully, I'm still here. Um, and I got a really awesome job. I started coordinating the full time MBA program at Arizona State. So, which was super cool because I was like a teacher teaching sixth grade, and now I'm gonna like help coordinate, you know, an MBA program. Kind of a funny side note, I didn't even know what MBA stood for until I applied. And my brother graduated from the program. And when he graduated, I didn't even know what it was. I just told him, Hey, good job, and that was the end of it. And then I ended up running the program for like seven years. So funny how Funny how life works, but so for seven years, I, I worked with um, hundreds of students. I always called them kids, even though they, you know, were not children, but uh, they were my kids, right? Uh, in faculty and organizations, and I knew every single student. I knew their lives, I was their guidance counselor, their therapist, their mentor. They tried to call me mom, but I said, how about older sister? I feel like that's, that's a little bit better. Thank you. Um, and I help them kind of understand what they wanted to do in the program and after, um, and really what they were passionate about. Um, they come to me oftentimes around these conversations of like, "Hey, I want I'm here. I know I want to get my MBA, but I don't know what I really want to do with it, um, and I don't know what I'm passionate about." And so we have just these really long, in-depth conversations. Um, and then oftentimes they go do a, we have they have to do a mandatory internship over the summer. Um, and they finally figured out, you know, through those experiences and actually going out and doing it, what they liked and what they didn't like. And I was like, okay, well, that's curious. That kind of makes sense, right? We all do that. We only enjoy the things we know once we've tested them out, right? So, you know, Nick, you're like, I'm going to go to law school, right? And hopefully you've had an experience of law school, right? So you don't show up. I mean, maybe you will just show up and love it. But, you know, there is something be said about you shadow somebody and you're like, oh, hey, that's what the knowledge a lawyer has, right? And you're like, cool, I'm into that. Versus, you know, some of my MBA students would say, I want to go into supply chain. I'd say, cool, okay, why? And they were like, for the money. And I was like, okay, but do you like it? And they're like, well, I don't know. Then they go do their internship, come back, and they're like, I hate supply chain. I'm like, okay, well, maybe that's why we tested out. That's why their internship. internships. So I started to know that, or notice that, they also needed experiences. Even though they were anywhere from 23 to 45, they still, everybody still needed experiences to understand what they liked and what they didn't like. And everybody still needed guidance and what that looked like, which I thought was really curious. I assumed that would be for younger kids. But I I guess I hadn't really thought about that being uh, even for students in graduate school. So I did that for seven years and I loved it. It was amazing. I loved every one of my, my students and all the faculty. But towards the end, I just started having this feeling that, again, I needed to do something that was broader impact, even though so from teaching to this, the MBA program was broader. But I needed something else. And I really wanted to go back to helping youth and especially underserved youth because of my background of living in a rural community. We were very poor. Single mom, mental illness, right? There are all these barriers that we that we were given. Even though I don't know that at the time I thought they were barriers, but we were given those barriers. I was like, I want to help the little me's of the world, right? Have opportunity to to do whatever it is that they they want to do. So again, I quit my job without having another one. So when I was in the MBA program, they um, offered me a promotion, and I that same day I quit. And they were like, well, that's weird. We've never had anybody quit their job after they've been given a promotion. And said, well, you know, glad I could be the first. But I stayed for a while, just didn't take the didn't take the promotion and, and quit. So and that's when I moved over to the engineering school at ASU um, and started to run the engineering education and social entrepreneurship programs. Uh, which was really great because it was a blend of what I did in the classroom in sixth grade and then a blend of strategy and things that I did while I was running the full-time MBA. And so it was a really nice blend. I was able to use skill sets from each of those in order to do this job. And the thing I noticed with the high school students was, again, they were confused on how to prepare middle school students, how to prepare for high school What they wanted to do post high school, right, did they just do what their families have always done? Or uh, what someone said they're good at, right, oh, you're good at math, you should be an engineer. You're good at art, you should be whatever, instead of like allowing them really to explore. And so, and the other thing I noticed with the undergraduate students is they oftentimes get into college, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I hate this degree, and then they'd switch. I don't like this degree and then they switch and each time they switch they stay in college longer and longer and what you were talking about nick earlier is right you want to be financially set up later on in life so that you can travel and do the things you want to do but a lot of these kiddos are like a lot of these students are staying in college five six seven years because they can't figure out what it is that they want to do and so they're just accumulating more and more and more debt, which just puts them in the hole, right? Especially some of these students who are going into fields like teaching and others, you know, or they they're just not going to make enough money to ever pay those off or it's going to be really hard. So I started noticing that more and more and I was like, okay, well, this is curious. So high school students, middle school students, MBA students, and even my friends and family, right, are all struggling kind of with the same thing. Like, what is it that we're passionate about? What it is that we want to do? And how do we chart out and make and make that happen? And so that's kind of where Giving Hope came from, right? So I started noticing that students, families, and communities, when they come together to design these roadmaps and guides for students, that students just thrive better. There's less of all of those constraints that I talked about a few minutes ago, and so, and then just my pure love and passion for helping students find their um, passion and purpose, and connecting them to the resources to help them make dreams come true that they don't even know that they might want to do, right? And so, really trying to help them remove barriers and break down, again, those preconceived notions of what they can and cannot do. And so one of the best, I don't know if you all have heard this, but one of the best acronyms or quotes or whatever you want to call it that I heard is called fear, right? So students go into it and we say, okay, it's, you know, I'm scared or whatever. It's fear, but fear um, is false evidence appearing real. Um, And I always love that. So I say that to kids. I'm like, okay, Do you have fear because if so, just remember, it's false evidence appearing real, right? There's nothing that says that that's true, right? Why can't you do something, right? Now, it might be harder for you than somebody else, sure, right? There might be more constraints or whatever, but there's nothing to say that you can't actually do it. So I'm like, whip fear into fear, and they usually look at me like, what are you talking about? And if we turn fear around, it could be face everything and respond. Right. So how do you look something dead on? Right. And just respond. Take action. Now, you might not make the right kind of action. Right. You might uh, make do something and fall flat on your face, but that's failure, which is great. You know, how do we iterate? How do we um, move forward from that? So it's kind of what, um, you know, was the impetus for giving hope and really the core of it. So I After just piecing all the different curriculums that I've done together, reading, and doing other things, I came up with a process called Explore, Discover, Design, and Iterate. So Explore is really this idea where students get the opportunity. I take them through a series of different hands-on activities and assessments to see what it is that they might be interested in. So we start really, really broad. Uh, because we don't want to narrow it down to just a specific thing, you know, like I look at things like categories of helping, right, or maybe it's like tinkering, or things like that, right, where it's these, broad, I like numbers, like these broader things, and then we start to mash them together to see what it is that really um, they might be interested in because I just did this with um, some the kids in D.C. yesterday, or on Monday, and I, I take them on this silly thing where they have to mash all the words together and make the funniest job description they possibly can. I don't care if it's a pirate surfing elephant trainer, right, whatever it might be, but the idea is to get them to start thinking differently about what is possible. So we do this in the explore phase, and then we go into discover, and so then we start to narrow it down, and we say, okay, Here are some things that I think I might be interested in and we do job shadowing, we do informational interviewing, we do internships, I have them do job descriptions where they, this is a great thing for any of you who are looking for a job, you go in and you find four, five, ten job descriptions that you think are interesting and you highlight the words that you're really interested in and then basically do some Basic coding, like okay, I see that this word appears over and over again, so I'm gonna have some tallies. That's really important to me. And you can start to find job descriptions that match those words when you're starting to look for look for jobs moving forward. So we do all sorts of different things to really have them discover it. It's that internship. It's that looking to see what job descriptions are because oftentimes, again, like I said with my MBA students, they go in thinking it's one thing. Marine biologist is the biggest. All kids say. I want to be a marine biologist or a firefighter, and I'm like, okay, well, do you know what they do? Well, they pet, you know, dolphins all day, and they rescue cats from burning houses, and I'm like, hmm, I think we should do some research to see what they actually do, so they interview people, like I said, do all these things, and they're like, oh, it turns out I don't want to be a marine biologist because I'm actually not ever going to see a dolphin, you know, it's like I'm doing all these other things, so... So once we have done some exploring and we start to discover, they start to then whittle it down to even fewer, and then we help them design a path in which they can start to do that, right? So whether it's college, trade school, whatever that looks like, we start to map out what classes should they take when they're in high school? Can they finish a year of college while they're in high school? What kinds of activities should you take or that you should you be a part of? What other steps do you need to take in order to be successful to do that? And then we talk a lot about iterating. Because as humans, I always say we're prototypes. I think this is because I've worked too long in the engineering school, but we're all prototypes, right? And so we always are changing and morphing and iterating as people. So, you know, Nick, you were into finance and real estate. Now you're going to pivot into potentially law school, and then you're going to pivot into being maybe this, like, I don't know, travel blogger, person who just goes around like whatever they want, right? Whatever that looks like, but we're all iterations, right? And we have a core to us that kind of stays the same, but we iterate. And so I teach them how do you find patterns in order to know when it's time to go and move on? And so um, I also teach them a lot about communication skills. So like these 21st century skills is what they call them. So that students can be successful in all sorts of, with those foundational tools. So I use something called the DISC. I don't know if y'all have done that, but, and it's teaching them communication and behavioral tendencies and how to work with others um, and know their own communication style so that they can forward better and quicker and more efficiently. So so my company or my organization works with, it started off just working with individual kids one-on-one. And then I went to small groups doing workshops and then it's really started to continue and grow to really large groups. So that's where I was in DC and um, Nashville, uh training like large groups and partnering with other organizations. One thing that I've noticed is that because I am a for profit, nonprofits have a hard time, I can't get grants and other things. Nonprofits sometimes, uh, nonprofits will partner with the for profit. So they'll get the money, right? And then and they'll hire a for profit that can help them with bits and pieces of it. So that's currently what I'm doing. I, I have several um, clients that are nonprofits, and then they hire me to come in and take the kids through the explore, discover, design, and iterate process with various flares of their own, right? And so, um, whether they want a STEM focus, whether they want an entrepreneurial focus, or whatever that might be, so working with them and what what it is that they want, but then training students broader, but. I think the thing I started to realize is that it's not really scalable or sustainable. So when you're thinking of building companies, right, when you're one individual human and you want to make a broader impact, like I want to help thousands and millions of kids, right? And so how do you, um, how do, you do that? And so I thought about doing like train-the-trainer, selling curriculum, which may happen, but also been thinking a lot about um, how to digitize. Some of that and, make, and gamify it. Um, not the whole entire piece, but like some of the pieces for the students. So basically the idea would be that um, I develop a software that when students interacted with various, they took certain classes, they um, went to certain events, or parts of certain clubs and organizations, they would enter it into this pathway and it would start to understand trends in the background and start to make suggestions on what they should do. So Fernando, I see that you've really been interested in X, Y, and Z. You should go to these particular events and go check them out more, kind of the discover phase, right? So it really helped them with the explore and discover phase and then the design. Okay, Nick, I see that you want to go to law school. Have you thought about taking or doing these steps in order to get to that spot? So how can I digitize and gamify some of that, especially the gamify for the younger students? Um, so that's really what I've been spending a lot of time on lately, is writing proposals for that. Fortunately, my family, outside of all, or my my two brothers and my my dad are all engineers and scientists. I don't know how I got into engineering. I always tell them, like, that I went to the dark side because I was like, there's no way I was doing that. But they all are coders and things like that. So it's nice that they can help build up the prototype for the software. So trying to think through... Through that and using the students as data points in order to end up or to add some of that information on the front end. So that's kind of what I've been working on now. So that's that's giving hope. Really, the idea is to help kids design their futures, right? And to help them break down some of those constraints that are that they think are around them or that are around them, and help them design a plan to do that. So, like, what were some of the barriers, right, that I had, and how did I overcome them? So I. I was trying to think of them and I kind of came up with four and I'm sure some of you, you know, you guys have probably heard these before, but for me, like growing up in a rural community, being poor, first generation student, single parent, all those things, like honestly finding those mentors, you've heard it a million times, I'm sure you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with is like key, right? And so you all having each other in dream chasers and like connecting to all these different people and hearing their stories is like huge, it can even be informal mentors, but I honestly can't imagine. I, I didn't do it on purpose, I just was lucky enough to have a community that was like all about like our being our cheerleaders. But having that support system with people who are like minded, um, is I mean, there's just nothing else like it. I mean, it's probably the most beneficial thing that there is out there in the network, like we we talked about. Um, but the other one that I was thinking about was. Um, Oftentimes, we'll get a lot of advice, right? People want to. People will give you advice all day long, right? People like I'm, I'm doing it right now, right? So people love giving advice. They like hearing themselves talk. It's just what people are, right? And this is true for me, and this is you know, throughout uh, my life, but even more so with giving hope. And while I really think it's important to listen to feedback. Um, to grow, I think it's equally important or even more so to actually listen to your own intuition. I mean, and this includes times when it's time to move on to something else. I mean, I quit every single job without having one, knowing that it was time to go. And each time something more amazing has come, right? And so it's kind of leaping into that fear. But also I was telling my friend the other day, I was like, I'm going to start asking people more questions to get them to the answer instead of giving them advice because oftentimes I think we rob people of that process and of those possible outcomes by us giving our biased view with, with what we think and instead of allowing other people to use their intuition and to really come up with and work through the process. They need people to ask them questions, but really come through, work through that process and possible um, outcomes. And I think for me, that has helped me grow the most and take risks I probably wouldn't normally take. You know, my family. Each time I quit my job, is like, I can't believe you're quitting your job without one. How are you going to support yourself? I'm like, I can bartend, I can teach school, I can all, I can go back and do a lot of things. So I'm fine. You know, I'll make it happen. But I think just remember to if you're on one side of it, just ask your buddies or your friends or whomever you're talking to questions to get them to come to the answer or the conclusion that they want. Um, and then also just remember to listen to your your intuition when, when it's time. And then another one I thought of is I'm a high eye on the disc. And again, I don't know if everybody has that, but these are people, people, right? So we fear social rejection. And so with giving hope, even though I'm an extrovert, like going out and asking people, um, you know, to talk about giving hope, especially for, as it's a for-profit. I didn't want to look silly. I didn't want to look dumb. I didn't want to be rejected, but, and so in order to get past that, what I've really pushed myself to do is try something new once per week. So once a week, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do something I've never done before. And it could be brushing my teeth left-handed or something, right? It doesn't have to be anything extreme, but I'm gonna go try, you know, um, what I did, oh, I did that square dancing. Why, I don't know, but why not, right? So it's like, just go and try some random things that you've never done before. Skydive, I don't know, whatever you wanna do, just to push you outside of your comfort zone and to look silly, right, and and do things that, that push you out of your comfort zone, like I said, and then uh, the last thing I was thinking about that's really helped me was, like, seeing the big picture, and then breaking it down into little pieces, and so um, I'm a dreamer. I can come up with a million ideas all day long, but actually getting it done, um, as soon as I get started on it, I'll just keep doing it, but, and, and I'll lose track of time, and I'll just I'll lose myself in the work. And so one of the things I've decided to do in the last probably two years that has made a huge difference is, uh, difference is journaling. So I set my intentions for the year and those don't change for the most part. Um, and then on Sundays I write my goals for the week, both personally and professionally. So I have that balance, right? Um, cause sometimes I don't, I don't do well with that. And then through the week, I just, every day I write what I'm grateful for. How I will find balance, well, in wellness, exercise, whatever that looks like. What are my top priorities for the day? Um, again, I repeat what my yearly intentions are, and at the end of the day, what I'm, what went well, what I'm grateful for, and what I would change. So that for me has just been, because it's so great to go back and look at your progress, uh, because oftentimes I think we don't remember how we got to where we are, um, and so yeah, those are kind of my four, my four. Barriers, right, and the things that I used
0: to to overcome them. So that's it. Heck yeah, that was a lot, but I gotta say it was a lot of great content. And uh, just hearing more about the Giving Hope Foundation, I have a bunch of questions, and uh, I definitely want to get into those. But I first off want to tip my hat off to you because it sounds like you know the journey so far has been amazing, but it sounds like you have a lot of things to come. And what you've yeah. done so far is it's phenomenal because uh, it totally you know whenever Satar pushed me your way and started the introduction. I started diving a little more, as much as I could. And then we hopped on the call, and I was like, this is like a mirror image of what, how much impact and the way we're trying to impact these youth. Uh, a little bit about my story. you know, I, I was through foster care, and that was really what gave me the idea of wanting to come back and make a difference. Because I saw – at the beginning, I saw so many people, my peers, lose hope and lose faith in a system uh, that failed them. And then so when they became of age, they – graduated high school, a lot of them didn't graduate from high school, Uh, they aged out of the system, they dropped out of high school, they ended up in a cell, they ended up addicted to drugs, ended up homeless, Uh, they ended up dead. And so it was really, it was a rough truth that, you know, I I really had to distance myself from at first, because it was really hard for me to try to help people, because I knew that so many of them, at least at the age I was at, you know, 17, 18, 16, 15, a lot of them have been in the system for eight years. And so like I said, they lost hope. And so I really had to take some time away and be like, you know, I want to help, but how can I help? And so once I started traveling, even you know in college, I see it all the time. And one thing you mentioned, and it's so real that you have so many people go off to college because they were told it was the, the thing to do. And uh, whether it be their family, their friends, or the community, they go off to college, they do it for three or four years, they graduate, they go into that first job, and they're like, this is terrible. Never in a million years would I want to do this. And they just spent you know forty to fifty thousand dollars in debt. To get there and now they're stuck and so that's one thing that um, so Malcolm mentioned that I started an organization here at South Alabama and it's called Student Leaders United because I actually one thing um, that I'm blessed to have been done in high school was do a job shadow a law firm and do an internship at a law firm and I got to say it you know it gave me a different perspective because you can watch law and order all you want but until you sit at the desk uh, for three months and do the paperwork do the filing go to the courtrooms take the phone calls uh, you don't really see what it takes to get the job done. But even then, that's just a, you know, a fraction of what it really takes. And so I, I think it's very interesting. And I'm really intrigued to learn a little more about your time and engagement with the MBA program, yeah. because it sounds like something, you know, it's really interesting, your, your, your life journey of going into the younger group, focusing with kids and being like, yeah, these, these nose pickers just aren't my thing right now. So let me up my game a little bit, moving out to Arizona. And then uh, starting with the NBA program, even though you didn't even know what MBA was, which is entertaining to say the least. Uh, with that being said, you know, I, you you mentioned your life story and you know how your community brought themselves together. That kind of helped you and your family. And you mentioned your mom and your dad. And so, what really drove you to really see the big picture when it came to helping these students and being like, hey, like a lot of people look at people. For instance, young kids, and they're like, "Wow, you're just stupid," or you know, "Why haven't you realized this yet?" But it, the reality of it is, is they don't know because they don't know what questions to ask, and they don't even know there's questions to ask. And so, I imagine, especially kids in their MBA, like they're a little further along in their education. So it kind of amazes me where they're like, "Yo, I'm taking my MBA because I want to make money. I have no idea what it does or what it can get me." But that's the truth, that a lot of people do do that. So what kind of strategies do you take and approach do you take to engaging these students, keeping them interacting with you, and really pursuing that, the higher learning outside of the classroom?
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is um, developing trust, right? So with my MBA students, with all students, but specifically with my MBA students, as you get older, it's a little harder to be vulnerable, Right. Society has said, okay, this is what you should do and don't talk about that because you're a male or you're a female or whatever, right? And so um, I think for my MBA students, like I did work really hard to build trust with them so that they would come and share with me the things that they didn't really want to share with too many other people, right? And so I made sure like I knew everybody's name. I knew what they were studying. I knew where they were from, what school they went to. Like, I just found out all the information I could from them or about them so that I could have a connection with them. And I think that goes anywhere, right? So once you find somebody and you find a connection with them, you can start to get that one-on-one and you start to break down those barriers. And so once I did that, then the students would come to me and just start asking questions. And so, you know, and and we would have these like really in-depth conversations it also helps that I fed them a lot you know MBA students they like their free food but you know but they would come in and they would ask me questions and so uh, you know I had always just had these like lists of my own questions back to them to ask them and so we would just sit there and have these back and forth conversations but knowing that I never judged them like sometimes I'm not lying the things that I heard in the MBA program I mean there's a lot of calls from jail a lot of because I got drunk doing something they weren't supposed to be doing, right? I mean, all sorts of things, but I never judged them for doing it. I would just say, okay, you know, life is about choices. How are we going to move forward, right? There's nothing that you've done that you can't bounce back from, period. I don't care what you've done. Even if you've killed somebody, you can come back from that. Now, you're. it's going to be a lot harder than anything else or than some other people, but it's not impossible. And so we would just break it down, you know, and say, how do we – an elephant one bite at a time, right? And so it's like, okay, let's sit down and we would just map out these small little chunks, you know, and sometimes you're just talking with somebody and relieving that anxiety. Um it's a high pressure environment, right? And the MBI took a lot of students to the hospital for what they thought were heart attacks. I'm like too young for a heart attack, but they were they were panic attacks and anxiety attacks, right? And so trying to teach them how to cope with those uh, or cope with the anxiety that came up, right? So so again, it's just building that trust and then diving into really getting to know each person and, that, and their communication style to try to help them figure out those problems. I don't know if that answered your question. but
0: No, for sure. And I think one thing I'm, I'm really curious to learn a little more about, because that's something that I've learned that I often give really good advice, but a friend of mine broke this down, told me uh, to me a couple summers ago that sometimes it's frustrating because you you give people all the answers in front of them and it's like they don't really see it until they get smacked in the face 10 more times come to realize is that you know often what we're doing is it's taken us 22 years of life to learn these lessons and as you said we're doing them really an injustice by trying to give them part five and skip part one two three four um but it doesn't really work like that because we often learn as humans that um the hard way by actually doing it and falling on our butts so that being said what kind of questions do you ask and how do you really spark up that conversation because I know one thing that a lot of people struggle with I know I struggle with sometimes is someone says something and my brain's going a thousand miles an hour and then I'm thinking about oh I would know what I want to tell them and then they're speaking for another five minutes and I'm like well have you thought about this and I'm just like it's not relevant so how do you like how's that conversation transpiring what's that really look like
1: yeah so one of the things is really practicing being present so I do that in other forms to be ready for a conversation with somebody because our brains, our monkey minds, right, are going all over the place, and we're just thinking of, you know, and and oftentimes people who are in these kind of roles are highly motivated, right, and so they're achievers, right, so they're like, I have 17 solutions for you and all the things to do, right, here's your checklist, go, be awesome, right, and to your point, they don't, they don't have any ownership of that, and so this actually came from being a teacher like our classroom rules. I never created the classroom rules, ever. I said, what do you think the rules should be? And then I'd ask, why? Okay, well, why? And why again? And so they would come up with the rules, and they were always 10 times more strict than I ever would have come up with, which I always thought was great. I was like, sweet. I'm, I could care less if you raise your hand to go to the bathroom. Just go, right? <laughs> I don't really care, but they, like, made these things so. Usually when I'm having a conversation with somebody, I try to be really present, get rid of the distractions, and then ask them, well, how do you feel about that? Why did you get to that decision? What are some solutions that you've come up with? Because oftentimes they want to come to you looking for a solution, but they don't really want your solution, right? Which is contradicts. Like It's like, I want your solutions, but I don't really want your solutions, right? So I usually say... Okay, well, what are the things, you know, um, Malcolm, that you've come up with this far that you think might be good? Let's walk through the pros and cons of that. Why don't you write down the pros and cons? And so we start to have conversations like that. Well, what about that gets you really passionate and excited, right? Or what about that kind of, you know, do you feel expanded or do you feel, you know, constricted when you're having that conversation? So trying to ask those sorts of questions to get them to, like, start to see their own patterns, to understand their own feelings and emotions and whatever is happening. And come up with their own solutions, and then helping them like draw it out. Like, okay, here are all the different solutions. Great. Okay, what do they have in common? How are they different? Can you morph any of them together? Right. So it kind of depends on the situation and what the conversation is. But I usually ask a lot of why, ask them for their own solutions, um, ask them how they feel about each of them. um, Are kind of the big ones that I that I do. But I try not to just give them. I'm like you. I have seventeen thousand ideas for people. But and I think sometimes it's okay to say that. Have you thought about this and how would that blend into what you're doing? But not just giving them all of them and saying you should do this.
0: For sure. And so my I guess the follow up question of that is call to action. I, you know, I've been in situations where I've given advice or so I've taken advice, um, and I wouldn't really have that call to action until a week down the road, and I'm like yo, Malcolm was really right about that, you know, or someone was really right about that. I should probably do that. That's probably the right thing to do. And so how do you have or do you have these little uh, follow throughs where you're just like, hey, did you do that? Because, you know, one thing with college kids is we we tend to get distracted or like squirrel. And especially when it's things dealing with our own personal lives, we tend to ignore them and focus on the the external things, which is the total opposite thing you should do, in my opinion. Uh, But that's something that society really uh, negates is personal growth. So how do you as a teacher and as a mentor, kind of follow up with your students to make sure they actually are putting those ideas to work?
1: Yeah, so I, I, it depends on the group, but also I have kind of two different things I do. So when it's one-on-one with somebody, so let's say it's you and I, I put it, just automatically go into my calendar, into my outlook, and I say follow up with Nick on his goals on this date. So one of my best friends every day, she and I text each other, and we say, here are our goals for the day. We have three. And then at the end of the day, we say, did we complete them? Did we not? If not, why? And that just gives the other person a chance to be accountable to say, be like, hey, Sydney, not cool or whatever. I don't really ever say that to her because we're so hard on ourselves anyway, but it's just that accountability. So it depends on what it is. So sometimes I'll just put it in my calendar. I'll tell you, hey, Nick, I want it done by this, this time. And then I'm going to follow up with you and ask you, probably a couple days before, hey, what do you need help with? How's, how are your goals coming along? How are those calls to action coming? Or like with Sydney, we just do it every single day, right? It takes two minutes. We text each other three things we're going to work on for the day. And then we say how we did that day and what we're going to work on for the next day. With my students, I do, I call them good vibe tribes. People call them all sorts of things, right? So the students, I have them pick up pick groups and they're their own accountability team. Right. So I'll set deadlines for them, but they hold each other accountable, much like you all. Like if you said to each other, we're going to do this, you would help, you know, hold each other, hold each other accountable. So the students and then I check in with the, with the teams. I have a team leader and say and the team leader rotates. So I'll say, OK, you know, Adam, you're the team lead. And, um, you know, how are the goals coming with your team? Has everybody checked in? Right. So I kind of try to build in systems. I find that people do better. They have a process or a system that they're kind of held to that becomes part of a routine.
0: Heck yeah, I love that. And that's definitely something that I want to start implementing. And diving into the next question, which along the lines of giving hope, which what you're doing is amazing. And you just said you travel to Nashville, DC, and I imagine you travel to other programs. You mentioned your partnership with nonprofits that already do work and you kind of go there and help out, which is amazing. So, with that being said, do you see that? students are receptive obviously if they're going to these programs they're obviously wanting to learn in some fashion but they might not necessarily as you said have all the answers just yet and that's everyone in life whether you're 95 years old or you're 12. I think we all go especially at our age you know middle school high school college we go through periods of who are we self-worth understanding what's next and if there is anything next and we've all asked these questions a million times. In
1: your 40s, it still happens, just an FYI.
0: (laughs) And so that being said, um, what are some things that you do with the students? You broke down the workshops, and you talked about, you know, explore, discover, design, reiterate, which is dope. And I think that's – I could not have mapped out a better plan because the way you broke it out, it's allowing students to see within themselves what they want. And I think that's a lot of problems that kids now get nowadays with social media, and you have all this input that there's not enough – Output, and so you got a lot of people that see, oh, this is entrepreneur life, this is the musician life, this is the rock star life, whatever it is, and it's like, oh, I got to be an engineer because it makes money or because I'm good at building Legos, like. But do you really want to be an engineer, or do you want to be a blogger traveling the world, or you know, join the Peace Corps? You know, so how do you have that conversation with the students and keep their attention? Obviously, you have the interactive platform, but I think it's. it's a little bit different for you to talk about it, but actually to, for you to talk about the steps and how you actually engage with these younger kids in reference to the kids in middle school and high school.
1: So I'll go back kind of to your first question, which is um, around the students themselves. So some students um, come to the program because their parents send them. And that is a lot more work, right? Um, and then some of the other students are student leaders who are like, they're just, They are just go-getters, right? They are there. They're just absorbing it all. Like, that's the group in D.C. I'm like, we're going to do this. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this is the most amazing thing, right? They just eat everything up. I mean, I gave them adult content. I mean, we did DISC. We did design thinking and and rapid prototyping um, and all these different things. So it was, like, you know, intense materials, but they were just absorbers. But then I have the other kids whose family send them and they're like, you know, I don't want to be here, right? The parents hate me and I'm like, no, dude, they like care about you and that's why you're here. So again, it goes back to about the trust and what I really try to do in giving hope with the middle school and high school students is make it interactive and fun, right? This is not about like me lecturing to them. It's about getting them engaged what it is they're doing and so and they think it's fun. They, I make them also be the teacher back, you know, so for example, I have them take an assessment that kind of, it's not my favorite, but it outlines some different themes and things they may be, like, that they're interested in, and so then I have them work with the other students to come up with fictitional um, job descriptions or breakout words, different things, right, so they get to, to have that peer one-on-one and start to build those relationships with people, and then um, I make everything, We try to have everything fun, right, I mean, yeah, it's heavy work, but like, how do you make it fun and not so serious all the time? And when it's time to be serious, we need to be serious. Like it's time to make our step-by-step guide on what we want to do. Like we got to be a little bit more serious, but we break it up and we have fun, right? I always let them, I'm all about student choice and student voice, right? And so, you know, they want to play some crazy music up in there, fine, whatever, right? So I try to get them ownership of certain things. And so, Um, Or certain games to break it up and so I really try to get them to feel like they're an environment because as soon as they're in a welcoming environment Kids will pretty much do anything Right, they'll absorb almost anything. They might not like it all But they'll sit there and they'll absorb it and later on it'll start to click and that's even part of it Like I don't expect every kid to come out and be like Well, I know exactly what I'm going to be in my life Like that's just not what it's about But are we giving them tools and those foundational tools that they start to think okay? How can I, what steps can I take moving forward? So, again, it's all about trust and giving them that student voice and student choice and allowing them to experiment and fail and being there to be like, okay, it's all right, no big deal. But I will tell you that some of the kids still look like this at the end, you know, and and that used to hurt me. I'd just be like, oh, my gosh, I didn't help every kid. But at the end of the day, you're helping the majority, and that feels great, and then they're going to go help that next group and so on and so forth.
0: So Malcolm has a quick question, real quick. Go ahead, Malcolm. When you're when you're going through like explore, discover, design, iterate, or you're going through, I guess really it would be about this um, this self realization, either about purpose or your motivations, or even in regards to like fear and or your, your anxiety. How do you go about like scaling that for either in like a younger individual or someone who they're just having a hard time kind of like having that, that self-realization about, you know, whatever it is.
1: It's funny. I think sometimes things come naturally when you're talking one-on-one with a student. And so I don't know that, I've right. home, but this is actually good. It makes me think. So I think I, I understand um, child development, especially middle mm-hmm. school, high school students. And so with middle school students, I know that, for example, they can't handle well, I shouldn't say all, but you try, try to go to the average and then go up, right? Because for the right. but so I do try to understand what is the vocabulary. So again, you want to make a, an environment of comfort, right? And so the first thing would be making sure that you're using vocabulary and things that a, a middle school student, because you don't want to make them feel stupid, right? So it's kind of the curriculum, as far as that's concerned, is like scaffolding. But as far as like understanding if they're just having, you know, anxiety, do they have fear, do they not want to be there? Um, I ask them a lot of questions, you know, like, Hey, which is the the scalability part that makes it hard. Right. Right. Because I don't know how to write AI that's going to tell Malcolm exact, you know, have this conversation with Malcolm about how he's feeling and why you're feeling that way. Right. So right now what I can do is I can have individual conversations and you and I can talk about, you know, so, you know, what are you really into? You know, show me one of your skills. Like you kind of start to break the ice, and then having those conversations. Like, well, actually, I just am nervous because I don't want to be here because everybody's going to think I'm dumb because what I want to do is be a DJ, you know. And everybody else here wants to be an engineer, right, or whatever it might be. And so, having that conversation, and then I'm a a promoter is what they're called, right? So I'm going to Mm hype you up, right? I'm going to be like Malcolm, you are amazing, dude. Like you you've got this, like you want to be a DJ. I'm like, here's what you're going to, you know, here are your skills. Oh, imagine this. What if you opened your own, like, you know, your own club? And what if you did this? What if you did that? Right. And I, I'm a dreamer. So I get them pumped up and then they start to go like, Oh, kinda shoulders go back. Right. And they're like,
0: right. Yeah. Okay.
1: I can do this. I can do this. And again, that's the scalability part, right. It's hard because How do you promote somebody? How do you do those things to make them feel comfortable and kind of see themselves? Like, hold up that mirror and be like, Malcolm, look, dude, you're awesome, right? And like have that self realization. Because once you have that with the student, they will almost do anything for you and for themselves. I don't want to do it for me. They want to do it for themselves. Right. So that's a good question. I'm actually going to think through that a bit more too. Because I think as a teacher, my entire life, I just do it naturally, but uh, it's a really good question to think about how I break down that process.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. That's super cool. Thank you. Thank you for your answer. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, so once again, we thank you, Hope, for coming on. We got a couple more questions. Yeah. Bear questions. Um, One thing that we do for SLU, and I'm trying to do more with, you know, whenever I go, the speaking opportunities for high schools, et cetera, is follow up resources because we can sit here until we're blue in the face and give all these amazing ideas. But then we travel back to the other side of the country and we never see these kids again. So do you provide follow-up resources, whether that books to read people to follow online, uh, things to look into Ted talks, et cetera. And what does that look like to you?
1: Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> yeah, I do. I always give books. I have tons of Ted talks that I have. I also give homework, right? Like, you've made a commitment to me to do something, it goes back to that accountability, I'll say, here's a, here are tons of different things, which of these do you want to do? Right? And then I'm going to follow up with you, whether that's journaling, whether that's whatever it is, right, that that you want to do. And I'm always trying to find resources for groups of students. And so if I know people have this, this group has this in common, I will go find tons of resources, you know, because I know a lot of different people, and i and I love to send those out. Hey, just thinking of you, here are these different resources. So TED Talks, books, quotes, sometimes even project management tools, because a lot of times my kids don't know how to manage life. You know, (laughs) sometimes I don't know how to manage life either, but, you know, like, here's a project management tool that works. Hey, I know you're really into editing photos or whatever. I found this for you. So yeah, just trying to send tons of different uh, resources based upon what the group has for you Or people, you know, that's the other one, or people.
0: So what are some books that you would suggest?
1: Let's see, I love, there's a book called Designing Your Future. There's a book called Educated. Nick, you might find interesting just from your past, uh, from growing up in foster care. It's kind of an interesting book. I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. There's one called Beyond College. Have you read The Alchemist? I love that book, so I, I recommend that a lot to people. But those are some of the ones that, for the work that I do, that I would suggest to people.
0: Heck yeah, I love that. And that's one thing that we do too. We actually uh, created a book club, me and Malcolm. But yeah, I think that's a big thing that really set me aside. There was a point in my life where I was trying to figure myself out. And I, you know, when I was sitting down eating lunch, they were listening to music or watching a silly cat meme. I was watching TED Talks. And I got to say, really, uh, after about six months to a year after watching over 100 TED Talks, it gave me a different perspective on life. And I, I think that's a big thing too, is one thing you talked about at the beginning. And, the reason I created, one of the reasons I created Dream Chasers, you know, I was like, I wouldn't have made it this far without help. And I'm like, how can I compile all these amazing people that I've met throughout my journey and bring them together? And then they do the same thing. And we keep compiling this network of people that we love and we trust and that'll hold us accountable, that'll help us push to that next level. And then how can we bring that to the community? How can we bring that to the young kids in the middle schools and the high schools and the colleges? Because I was a, middle school kid once. I was a high school kid once. We all were. I'm a college kid now. And I realize that one thing that we all share in common is a lot of us say we know what we want, but we really have no idea until we actually do it. And so it's one of those shared beliefs that I think that is common, like you said, for even four-year-olds is that um, we're, we're kind of just on a big rock trying to figure it all out, trying to be happy along the way and uh, make a difference and impact as much as we can. And so that being said, one of my, uh, my last question is, you know, where do you see hope being in five or 10 years? Where do you see yourself being in five or 10 years? And what does that vision look like to you?
1: Yeah, I think in five or 10 years, I would love to have giving hope, like flourishing, like both from a digitization gamification, but also like training other people to do the work. But I'd love it to be international, right? I would love it to be in rural communities, um, with just all these vast amount of mentors and resources for the kids to connect to, really this just like network, like you said, of people who are there to support them. I mean, I love traveling the world, so I want, I want to go and, and do that part of it too and be out uh, traveling, giving hope, or whatever that looks like for that area um, to them. Uh, is, I think it's really what I'd like to do. I, I want to make sure that I can scale this and really allow students to start to see their passion and purpose and even just their worth. I think, I don't know why, but I would say the common thing I see amongst people is that we oftentimes don't think we're deserving or we're worthy. And so how do we help students to to see that that's just crap, right? Like that's not actually true. And so getting, giving hope out to them, I think starts to dispel some of that and say, you know what, actually I am worthy of doing that. I do deserve that. And this is how I'm going to do it. And and that creates a movement and a change, right? When people start coming from an optimistic standpoint, right, we can really start to see people making changes for themselves and then changes around them. And that just makes a bigger and bigger impact. So, I mean, making it scalable and sustainable and giving hope. I mean, I would love for that just to happen. And then I can just travel around the world, like talking with people and doing what I love, which is more like the smaller group sort of things would be. Awesome. So have the business, like running the super awesome people, and I'm out doing my thing, chatting with
0: people. Sounds like a good plan. And so (laughs) the last question that we ask all of our guests is, as you mentioned, and your whole purpose in life, it feels like right now is making that impact, reaching those youth, and actually helping them realize their potential so then they can follow their dreams. And that's something that you understand, and I understand, and everyone on this call understands, is that you know, you often come to a point in your life where you're challenged with something you've never experienced before. And that's just part of the journey. But I've realized is that every time I turn the corner, you know, I'm not always going to have the answers. And that's struggling, you know, especially as a 16-year-old kid, 17-year-old kid about that graduate high school, going to college on his own or someone who's about to graduate college and start the real world. And, um, you know, I struggle with that every day sometimes. But one thing that I know keeps me going is that there is people like you out there who have a message and have a story to share, uh, a story to share that can impact others. So my my question is, is what advice do you have for the young people listening on today that may be in that rut and may have that mindset that they can't, but you know they can. And so, with that being said, what advice do you have for them listening right now?
1: Yeah, I think it goes back to something I said earlier, which is false evidence appearing real, right? So when you feel that fear, like write it down. Okay, well. So let's just call your bullshit for the sake of, you know, no other better terms, right? Like call yourself out on it. Be like, okay, is this false evidence appearing real? So I can't make it into law school. There's just no way. I'm not smart enough. And then start writing the facts that show that to be true, right? And, And most of the time you'll find that they aren't true, right? And you'll look at it and say, oh my gosh, okay. I am smart enough. I might need to study harder for my LSAT, right? But I'm smart enough, right? What do I, What steps do I need to now do? So looking at that false evidence of appearing real, calling yourself out on it, writing the facts down, and then taking action on those things that you can take action on. I always say there are gravity problems, right? And real problems. Gravity problems are problems that you can't solve. I can't change gravity, but I sure as hell can change how I use gravity. So don't say I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm whatever, whatever. It's like, No, use that to your advantage, right? How do you go around that? I love a loophole. Go around it, right? And so it's like, can't change gravity, but you can change how you use it. So those would probably be my my biggest thing.
0: Heck yeah. Thank you, Hope. You're the best. You're amazing. You're doing great things. and I look forward to following your journey. And I hope we can stay in touch as we uh, continue on.
1: All right. Thanks, everybody.